You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Morning to you all. Let's take our scriptures before us, turn again to the book of Mark. We're continuing on in chapter 14. We'll be in 32 starting there. Mark 14, 32 is where we'll end up. And uh, as we're getting there, we've got a picture. Is Claire here this week? I don't see her out here. Claire Skifter gave me this from last week. Claire doesn't give me many pictures, so I'm thankful for him. And uh, I'll let her interpret if you ask her. But what I see on this page is smiling. There's joy on this page. And so Claire captured that. I love it. From Claire. And uh, big smile there with a heart. I don't know if that means I love Sunday school. I'm doing my own interpretation, but there's happy people down below. So I'm thankful for those pictures that come in. Whatever is going on in the kids' minds that you're coming with us and you're part of this service, and we're glad to have you as part of this. So even through the wiggles and the cries, parents, that's okay. We're glad they're here and part of this room. All right. Um, as we look at this chapter, before I read it, just so that we read it in uh, how we'll kind of s- go through here, I want you to be observing already. We'll do this a little bit more um, after I read through this. But be observing some characteristics of the disciples that you're going to see here, that, that we're going to read about, kind of what characterizes them. What do you see from them? And then on the other side, what do you see of Jesus? What characterizes Him in this passage? And we're going to try to be kind of sorting those out and looking at those in terms of contrast and looking at the two as we go through. So I want you already to be prepared for that. So let me, let me read God's Word to us, starting in Mark 14, 32. We'll come down through verse 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And He said to His disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with them Peter, and James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. You remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let me pray for us again. Lord, as we read your word today, again, we're asking that you guide, that you take your word, Lord, and help us to understand it. Help us to understand places that we have questions and we don't understand. We pray you would, you would enlighten us to, to understand, that we pull in scriptures maybe from other places to bring understanding. Lord, that you would take that understanding, not that just we would come out of here 
better people that are more knowledgeable of the Bible, but that this passage itself would change our lives. That you would work through this time we have. We're going to trust your spirit is at work in our hearts, so we pray that you would move and direct. Maybe, Lord, we pray for something going on that has nothing to do with this particular passage, but you can use what is said in a life. And so we pray that, and we pray that each one of us, Lord, you would take your arm and bring us back to worship you through your word and to live out that worship in our week. So we ask you again to guide our time. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, we are at this Garden of Gethsemane. Last week, we had, Jesus had sung the hymn with the disciples. They headed out to that Mount of Olives, that mount uh, on the eastern side of Jerusalem that kind of slopes up, and now there's Gethsemane. Really, that name, the Geth part of it, is um, oil, and the last part, the semony, that part is press. So re- literally, we're going to an oil press, which you would have in a... In, on the Mount of Olives, you'd think of an oil press there. Now, somebody, a uh, commentator, thinks that this, uh, he's drawn together scholars and says, perhaps Jesus, they were going, this, this particular place, this Gethsemane, was maybe a, someone's own private garden, perhaps. Maybe walled in, private. Jesus leaves most of the disciples, doesn't he? Maybe he leaves them at the gate or the wall or the entrance, something like that. Maybe he goes further than in with Peter and James and John. We'll see that as we go through, and eventually he, he, he ends up by himself. Wherever it was, it was in the boundary of Jerusalem where uh, this was. Celebrating the Passover, they were not allowed to go further than that. So there's a keeping, staying within this boundary. And already it's night, probably late at night, um, and the darkness here, just a great metaphor for really the darkness of this night and what's going on. Um, let me just say, if, as we go through this, because I think this happens to me, and, and I'll just um, set this out there. Um, if you yawn during this time, or it just it seems natural. We're in this. We hear these disciples, and we can get a sense of their sleepiness, and we're going to be talking about their sleeping again and again. So if you yawn, <laughs> uh, that's okay. Uh, Hopefully I won't, but if you go through it, just, there's that sense of darkness, tiredness, as we read him about sleeping and just our own weakness. I mean, we can see in that and yet hear how great our Savior is. So like I said, we're going to be looking through and kind of, kind of dividing up, um, looking at disciples and Jesus. If you're a note taker and you have a blank sheet before you, um, a column would be helpful. That's kind of what I'm operating off of, just a column on one side of your column, if you were to label maybe this side, you might label it disciples or to go along with our title, the scattered sheep. So we're looking at the scattered sheep. This is the disciples. On the other side, you might say this is Jesus. This is characterizes who Jesus is, this gracious shepherd. And we're going to kind of go through this back and forth, looking at the disciples, looking at Jesus as we go. And hopefully I'll, I'll bring you along in that as we look at what characterizes these, these two different well, one a group and Jesus as we go through here and how we observe and, and then bring some conclusion to it. So look at verses 32 through 33 first. I'll just read it again. They went to this place, Gethsemane. We talked about that. He said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. So to the general disciples, 
sit here, have a seat. But for those three, they get to come further. Peter, James, and John. We're used to this reading through the book of Mark. It's chapter Mark 5 where these three guys get to go with him uh, to the synagogue, that, that, the, the house of the synagogue ruler, um, and, and where he raises that, that girl back to life. In Mark 9, it's these three that get to go with Jesus to the transfiguration. So we might think out of anybody, I mean, imagine these three. I wonder if they walked away from the rest going, <laughs> we get to go further. We're something special. I mean, weren't James and John, right? Those guys were debating anyway, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? Perhaps that was inside. I think we would naturally in our flesh think, wow, he wants me to go further. But we're going to see what happens to these guys. You'd think out of these guys, they saw Jesus glorified, they saw him heal, they saw this up hand and close, they would think they could pay attention and stay awake, but sadly we're going to see different things come from them. So that's the disciples. Uh, They're coming with them, Peter, James, and John. On the other side, Jesus describes Jesus in these verses as greatly distressed and troubled. And we might be wise to, to ask why. Why is he so distressed and troubled? Because he knew the hour, and by hour I don't mean 60 minutes, but the hour, this time was upon him. This time of this night of betrayal into the next day, trial, crucifixion. He knew what was upon him. Uh, Three times already, and we looked at this as we studied, Jesus has predicted this very moment in these times. I'll read one of them from Mark 10. It's not very far back just to read. Again, remember, Jesus knew this hour, and now it's close, and it's coming in. And so uh, Mark 10, 33, Jesus makes this prediction Uh, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Jesus is greatly distressed and he's troubled. He knows this hour that's before him, this weight of the night, this press. If you think of oil press, this press is on Jesus. And it's coming down on him heavily. Look at verse 34. He said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And he tells them, remain here and watch. So again, with Jesus, his soul, what's he like? What characterizes Jesus? He's very sorrowful, even to death. One dictionary uh, that I looked at, the wording here, you could think of the word uh, encompassed with grief. Anywhere you look, there is grief around him. It's this Greek peri, this, this around sense of grief around him, this very or exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. I don't think we have an understanding of that. I mean, you think of your most sorrowful day, your hardest day that you've had and and multiply that and think. Luke will tell us the sweating that he sweat, right? The drops of blood, the sorrow that's going on in Jesus, knowing what's ahead of him. But look at the disciples also in verse 34. Jesus tells them, stay here or remain and watch. He might say, keep awake. Jesus in chapter 13, we saw a lot, a lot of this as he's looking towards 
um, the destruction of Jerusalem and then that, that end tribulation that, he, that we come through and Jesus coming again. And in the end, he says, stay awake. I'm, I'm coming again. You don't know the hour of the day. Stay awake. There's that similar language. And so here again is this language of remain here. Watch. Stay awake. It's a, it's a test run, I think, if you will. Can they do it? Can they stay awake while Jesus goes to pray? That's all you got to do. You guys don't have the weight of the sin of the world on you. Just stay awake. That's all you need to do. And watch. When we move on to verse 35 and 36, thinking about Jesus again. So it says, And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed. What did he pray? That if it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. A couple things about Jesus. He addresses the Father as Abba, Father. Um, I've heard this described as maybe the language of Daddy, that sort of thing. I I don't see that as much uh, in some of the research and what I'm looking at, but I do see a sense of intimacy, a sense of relationship. And so if you'd use the word daddy in that sense of like a child has this intimate on-the-lap relationship, I think we could see that there. Um, Jesus has this relationship with the Father. By the way, we in Christ have this same. And you can see this, uh, Ab, I think it's in Romans and then... Uh, possibly Galatians, I can't remember where, but it's in other places. But Jesus addresses his Father. And he says all things are possible, and yet he does ask something. He asks that this cup be removed. Lord, would you remove? And what's this cup that he's about to drink? Or maybe you might think, what's, this, what's about to be poured out on Jesus? It's this cup of death, cup of suffering that he's about to endure. Think of it this way, uh, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is what was ahead for Jesus, this, this curse. The curse of the sin of those He came to save on Him and the weight, imagine of all those sins and the weight and the punishment, and the just punishment on Jesus. This cup, this pressing cup that Jesus was to drink. And Jesus is saying, if it's possible, would you remove it? It's pretty interesting for the Son of God who knows why He came, and He knows why He came, to even there say, is there any way to remove this? Isaiah 53.5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All these things, all this night, all this trial, all this crucifixion is ours. And it should be rightly ours. And yet Jesus takes this on himself to be wounded, to be crushed, chastised, stripes that we might be healed through him. And even though Jesus requests this and asks, Lord, remove, I mean, he's praying a prayer here. Lord, would you? He's asking, would you remove it? 
And yet these beautiful words at, at the end of verse 36, Jesus says, yet not what I will, but what you will. If you translate that out of the Greek, there's a, there's a that yet kind of gets it. It's a, it's a big B-U-T. It's a big but. So I've asked you, Lord, remove. Father, Abba, remove this if there's a way. And yet, but not my will, but yours be done. And it actually reads, um, not I, not what I, I want. It's, it's emphasized. It's not about, it's not what I want. And it's, it's almost a double you could put in there. Not what I, comma, I will. There's emphasis in there. Jesus is saying, it's not about my will. I came to follow, I came to do the will of my Father. We see that in John 6 is where that comes out. Jesus came uh, to do the will of the Father. That's what he's come to do. And so in the midst of this prayer, there's a praying, there's an asking, and yet at the end there's a saying, your will be done. Well, what about those disciples? Here's Jesus, all this on him, this cup, this suffering he's about to endure. He sees it ahead. Verse 37 and 38, we come back to the disciples. He came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the first of three times Jesus is going to come back and find them sleeping. Could you not watch one hour? Uh, One commentary commented, uh, he calls him Simon. He doesn't call him Peter, Peter the rock. He's not very rockish at this point. He's sleeping. So he, maybe, maybe that's why he calls him Simon here. But he gives them direction. Watch and pray. That's what he tells these guys. Watch and pray. Why? So that you don't enter into temptation because he says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Spirit, willing. Yeah, stay awake, sure. Flesh, weak, and can't stay awake. This is really the issue for every disciple of Jesus. God who gives us, He gives us a willing heart to follow Him. We want that, and yet we battle with the flesh while we remain in this life. Lord, I want You. We sing songs. Lord, You be lifted high. We just, we just all proclaim that right now in the service. And yet we head out. And our language and our hearts replace Him by lifting high. And what did we learn in Sunday school today? Us. Lord, I want to be lifted high. I want people to lift me high in my life. It's weak. And yet, I think that weakness is to take us somewhere. The flesh is weak. Where do we go when we're weak? Paul says, when he has a thorn in the flesh, he says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. What's he saying? Even in our weakness, we can say, I'm willing, but my flesh is weak. And even in that weakness that we have, we can give glory to God and say, Lord, give me the strength to do this, to do this parenting, this marriage, to work at this place with these people, to interact, all these things. Lord, I'm weak to lift you high. I'm weak to shower you with praise and worship. 
Would you work in me so that your grace and your power is seen? It's our weak flesh that ought to lead us to watch and pray. And I think not watch and study or watch and plan, although we need to do that, or watch and do this on our own, but it's watch and pray. Isn't that the words there? Verse 38, watch and pray. I think this is prayer, not as prayer as the duty itself, thinking I need to pray, but where does prayer take us? It takes us to the presence of God. That's where Jesus is in this passage. He's praying, yes, that's the the vehicle, the instrument. What's he doing in that prayer? He's pouring himself out to God and trusting him and looking to him and saying, if possible, and, and yet saying, it's your will be done. So back to Jesus. He does this again, verse 39. He gives the instruction to the disciples. Watch and pray. Here, here you go, guys. You're, you're, you're going to be willing in your spirit, but your flesh is weak. And then verse 39, and again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Jesus repeated a prayer. It's okay to repeat prayers. It's like a model of prayer here. That's not all this is, but there's a model going on. Those same words, what were those words? If possible, take this cup from me. If possible, remove this hour, and yet not what I will, but what you will, Lord. And again, verse 40, we come back. Again, maybe they learned. Maybe these three guys caught on. No. Verse 40, again, he came and he found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. This is the second time he found, finds them sleeping. Heavy eyes. Maybe one commentator said maybe they had too much food. Maybe the Passover meal. Kind of like a, a big Thanksgiving meal. And they're just, they're just tired. And we understand that weak flesh, right? After Thanksgiving, that it's just hard to stay awake. Unless your packers are on or something like that. But otherwise, you're tired. Um, maybe too much food. I, I think, though, too... I, this phrase here, they did not know what to answer him. Could it be they just they didn't understand what's going on? And sometimes when we don't understand what's going on, sleep seems the best. I don't, I don't get it. Sometimes in my study, I'll just self... In my study, as I'm looking through something, I've come to a hard area and hard passage. It tends You kind of get a little doze off because it's, oh, I don't understand this. And it takes effort to understand and reason what's going on. Maybe that was part of what's going on. That's in verse 40. Now, you don't have this verse in your Bible after verse 40 and right to verse 41, and neither do I. It's not a verse. I don't want to lead you astray there. But there's between the period and the little number 41, something happens. And so we imply this, we, we gather this from the material because he comes back a third time to the disciples. So in between that period and the little 41, Jesus again... What does he do? He goes and prays and returns. That's what's implied in the, in the Scripture there. And then 41, we come back again a third time to these disciples. And verse 41, the first part, and he came the third time. So Jesus goes, he prays, not my will, but yours, third time. And third time comes back, says to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest These disciples are going to be unprepared for this night ahead, and they're already failing 
to follow. Now, there's a question mark here, and there's some debate. Is it a question or is, it, is there a, a command here? Like, you're still sleeping and taking your rest? Kind of like a sarcastic comment. You guys are still sleeping. You know, kind of this maybe sarcasm to what Jesus shares. But Jesus continues as we continue in verse 41. So that the disciples sleep a third time. I, I don't know about your column on the disciples, but there's a lot of sleeping. There's a lot of failing to watch and pray and a lot, just a lot of weakness over on that side. And yet Jesus here, listen to Him coming. He says, it's enough. The hour has come. This is what He's been praying about. And He says, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The one who would deliver us is delivered up into the hands of sinners. Romans 4.25 speaks of Jesus, and it speaks of Jesus in this way. Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's the same wording. Here, the Son of Man is betrayed. You could put in there, He's delivered. He's delivered into the hands of sinners. Why? So He can deliver us. He was delivered into the place where we should be. He was a substitute. His atoning sacrifice covers our sins. He was delivered that sinners might be delivered. And then verse 42, and we're going to look at this next week then, transitions us. It says, Jesus says to his disciples, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And the disciples, they follow this master who says, rise, let us be going. They get up. Okay, here we go. And then Jesus, he brings these guys with him. Let us be going. But he comes, I believe, ready and willing because he spent time with his father for this hour before him. A couple of questions and observations as we look back on this passage as we've gone through it. Question who is better prepared for the night ahead? Just looking at your column again. Who's better prepared for the night ahead? For a betrayer to come, for a trial and crucifixion. Which one would you say is better prepared? Disciples or Jesus? It's pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? Another question, why? Why is Jesus better prepared? What has he done differently than his disciples? You might say he prayed. Yes, he prayed. We might even go just a step further to say he has spent time with his heavenly Father in the presence of God through the vehicle of prayer. I think that's a relationship that strengthened Jesus for this night and what was ahead. This time of Abba, Father, take it, but your will, this back and forth prepared him for this night. Another question, who here, disciples or Jesus, who had claimed that they would not fall away and they would not deny Jesus? They claimed it boldly. If you look back in context, what we looked at last week, 26 through 31, Jesus says you're all going to deny. Peter says even if they all fall away, not I. Right? And then everybody, they all said the same thing, we're not going to deny you. And they're sleeping away and snoozing away. I mean, it's not even that far, is it, for them? Here at this hour, they couldn't stay awake. And Jesus, I think, proved to them 
that though their spirit was willing, I will follow. That's what they said. I'm going to follow. Their flesh was weak. And they fell asleep. But through this, don't miss what we see here. What does Jesus do? Despite these sleeping sheep, what does Jesus do? And he says to them, verse 42, rise, let us be going. Does he say to them, I'm done with this. You guys fell asleep again three times. I was counting. We're done. You know, like like you go on a vacation and you drive and if the kids are angry, I don't know if you say this sort of thing, but I mean, if you do that again, we're done or we're not going here or those threats, right? Does Jesus say we're turning this car around? We're not going to do this. You fell asleep three times. You got your chances and I'm not doing it. He's gracious. And he says, I'm going to do this. You guys slept. It's okay. I'm awake. And I've prayed and I will go forward. And I will be delivered that I might deliver you. He's gracious. He's a gracious shepherd who guides us. I didn't have you mark your own column of discipleship, but we can probably all pretty much fit in that column of disciple ourselves. And I want you to think about your own column, how you would fit in or how you are with your walk with Christ, your walk as a disciple of Jesus. I counted them this morning. From the middle of these chairs to that door out there, there's 32 steps, at least by my walking. 32 steps. 32 paces, we might say in here, we can worship when we can follow in 32 steps. And some of us, it's not even 32, right? And we've fallen asleep again. We've gone off the trail, off the track, and out the doors and into a world. And how do we live out in this world? What are we going to do out here? How do we face this world when this time of worship? We're not saying worship is over, is it? We worship out there. How do we go forward and worship? A couple thoughts. Number one is to know thy God. Know thy God. Like we've said, this whole night, this whole uh, dark night, really an eternity of nights is what we deserve for our sin. We've sought other gods. We've worshipped other things. We've been asleep where we needed to be awake. The penalty we deserve, the death we deserve, the wrath of God on us for our walking away from Him, He would be just to do that. But in His justice, He fulfills that justice on a substitute, on Jesus. And I think until we realize this journey and night should have been ours, this is our place, this, this crucifixion, this death is ours we miss out on the love and grace of the shepherd that's on display here. So know thy God. Know him in a gospel sense, in a, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you, Jesus. Know him that way. And then those, you have, uh, that's where you're at. You're trusting Christ as your Savior. Continue to get to know, to come into his presence via prayer. It's not, hope you don't hear in this sermon, it's just just pray, pray, pray. It is, there is that that push, and we're going to talk about that, this to go pray, but where does that prayer lead you? To the presence of the Father. That's where the hope is. That's where Jesus' hope was. 
So know thy God. Number two, for someone to watch and keep awake, know thy God, but also know thy adversary. I think of Satan, and I think of our own sin, our own self. 1 Peter 5 says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Peter answers, how are we to counter him? He says, resist him. How? Not by our own strength, but firm in your faith. Faith that looks to God alone. Faith in God. And know thy adversary, know our own sin, our own weakness. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, of this battle of our desire to walk with God, and yet our weakness, our flesh. And yet he says this, Hold on to these words. He says this in Romans 7.24. You don't need to go there, but I'll read it to you. He says, Wretched man that I am. This is Paul speaking. I do what I don't want to do. And I, this battle, you remember that place? He says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's your deliverer? And how we answer that question is quite important. What will deliver me? Seminary degree? Reading through the Bible? What will deliver me? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ our Deliverer. It's eyes. When we see our failings and our weakness, it's not eyes that go, I just can't get this Christian thing. I can't do this. It's eyes that go from that and and we confess and we repent and we turn again to the Savior. You did it all. I lean on you. Your grace. I need you. So know our own sin. And then number three is to exercise the gracious gift of the shepherd. To exercise the gracious gift of the shepherd. What's that gift? It's prayer. Uh, David Mathis calls it uh, a habit of grace. He's written a book. I haven't read it yet, but um, habits of grace. Prayer being a habit of grace. I want to read something perhaps provocative to you. And what really kind of woke me up regarding our life of prayer and this gracious gift that Jesus has given and maybe the sinfulness of our lack of prayer. Here's what Kent Hughes says. He writes a commentary on Mark and I just want to read it to you. He says, The application is simply this. All of us should give ourselves to regular daily prayer. This is his bold statement. If you are not living a life of dependent prayer, you are sinning. You cannot and will not have the steel necessary to follow Christ. As one example, men, you who are fathers should be praying daily in detail for your spouse and each of your children. If you are not doing so, you are sinning. There is more. Thanks, Kent. There's more. Okay? If the only time you pray for the ill or the grieving or the needy in your local church body is during the Sunday pastoral prayer, you are sinning. We are all called to daily dependent prayer, all of us. If we take those words with the strength that I think he wants to convey, is to look at our lives and say, where am I at in terms of prayer? And again, we can look at that and say, 30 minutes, 10 minutes of prayer, I got that down, I did it. We look at prayer as this gracious invitation to come 
into the presence of God and saying, would you remove this cup? Would you help me? I've prayed yesterday about it. I'm here again. And yet, Lord, not what I will, but your will, according to your sovereign plan, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to look to you in this. We are not alone, praise God, to live for Christ in our own flesh and strength. God has given us a great Savior, one who endured this weight, this, this night, the weight of all the sin on Himself on the cross. He endured the wrath of God. Grace was on display that night. And it's through Christ that we have this great calling to prayer. Jesus models it. He shows us where we must be in the presence of the Father and in the will of His Father. Disciples of Jesus, we're going to face the same struggles, these same things of a willing spirit and a weak flesh. My encouragement to each one of our hearts and my own heart to say, am I praying for my family in detail? Am I praying for our church in a detail? It's, it's more than checking off a list and saying I did it, but I'm taking them before the Father. Are you? We want to grab hold of the gracious gift of prayer. There's an opportunity today to start praying. So I want to do that, and we want to pray. And we're going to pray just a little bit silently. And if you need to do some confessing, of prayerlessness in your life, that God's given this gift. And we've said, you know what, yeah, I'll figure it out on my own. I'll, I'll pray a little bit maybe. And enough to kind of say I did. If that's you to confess, Jesus talks about his house being a house of prayer. What would it look like for this house? And I know there's praying folks within us. What would it look like to pray? Maybe we need to confess that. And then call on the Father, about our weakness. So let's do that. Just silently, and I'll close us in a little bit. Is there an area of, to confess? To confess weakness and ask for strength. Take that time. Father, I'm just going to join with everyone else in this room and would you help us, Lord? My own heart included. Lord, would I be a man of prayer? Would, would, would you grow up men and women in this building, whether they're young or old, Lord, to have that sense of dependency on you, that sense of your presence that Prayer is not just simply a duty to get done, but it's, it's our joy to come into your presence and from there receive strength for the day because you're a gracious Father who loves us and invites us to call to you. And Lord, the only reason we can hope to come is the shed blood of the Deliverer. And so we praise you for this access. I pray we would not squander it, 
But Lord, that this church, this body, we would be a body in prayer. Praying for the needs that come to our mind, needs of our people throughout the week that you bring to mind. May we stop and pray. Father, may you guide the fathers especially in this room that we would be praying pastorally over our families in detail, Lord, for our children, for our wives. Help us in that too. Lord, lead us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.